from Trimble Construction, you're listening to the Connected Construction Show, where we connect you to the contractors, owners, designers, engineers, and construction professionals who are finding better ways to work. And now, here's your host, Matt Sprague. Hello and welcome to the Connected Construction Show. I am your host, as always, Matt Sprague. Uh, we are here uh, still at the uh, 2022 Dimensions at the Venetian Resort in Las Vegas. Uh, accompanying me today is Alice Leung from Brick and Mortar Ventures. Thank you so much for joining us, Alice. Thanks for having me. So um, tell me, tell our <laughs> viewers, listeners, uh, a little bit about yourself, your background, where you, where you come from. Uh, what you currently do at brick and mortar and how you got to this point in your career. Yeah. So I started my career in construction, uh, with DPR construction, uh, actually did a couple of internships, not knowing anything about industry. So I studied electrical engineering, uh, worked on the, I guess I was part of the formula SAE car team and DPR actually recruited from that group because it was a bunch of people who liked working with their hands and construction is a very kind of physical very you're building real physical things um so it was actually through that group that i by chance took an internship with dpr without knowing anything mm-hmm. about construction yep and fell in love with just you know problem solving i think is like how i boil it down what is construction it's problem yep. solving on a day-to-day basis and yep. a lot of the times you're solving a lot of problems in one day and um, getting to work with the guys in the field who you know have their craft that are putting things together, ranging from those folks all the way to you know the project executives who are looking at spreadsheets all day, and then you know to working with architects and owners. So it was just a very cool kind of you know all these people that you had to bring together to to yep. build a physical thing. Yep. Um, so my first internship was actually on a hospital job, and I fell in love with you know the problem solving aspect, and I also dug really deeply into the world of BIM and BDC. So I was uh, lucky that on that project, it was a very kind of innovative project. There's a big focus on building things virtually before building it physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just like gave me a really cool crash course on kind of construction and yep. some of the innovation in the industry. Um, so I ended up joining DPR full time after college, uh, worked on hospitals and data centers. And I think because of the what, time. What was your role at DPR? What project engineer. So project I started engineer. as a okay. project engineer. Yep. Yeah. And I think the, I was lucky that the time I entered industry was when there was a big focus on digitization and it was when iPads were first coming into the space. Okay. So there was the whole digital job site, you know, focus, like trying to do everything on PDFs versus on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent a lot of time just like looking for new solutions to implement because that was kind of the mission of yeah. innovation on the job. Yeah, there got to be an easier way. Exactly. Yeah. And that and um, just I think I had always, you know, been a very impatient person. So I was always looking for, you know, efficiency gains and all the inefficiencies within construction. Um, so I was lucky that at DPR, they really empowered me as a young person just coming out of college to go yeah. find technologies, implement them. Um, so I worked with a lot of the startups that were just coming into construction at the time. So yeah. this was like when Fieldwire was just you know first founded, okay. Rumbix, PlanGrid, um, them anywhere. Loved working with all these companies and continued like working with the technology side throughout my career that was in operation. So I was never a BIM man or I guess never fully a BIM manager or anything like yep. that, or never on the innovation team, but I always love the technology yeah, you, side. You were pushing it. Yeah. So 
got to a point in my career where um, I was kind of frustrated with how slow construction was adopting new tech. At the time, I'd worked on multiple projects and just the craziness around the differences in how all of those projects, um, I guess just how all of those projects differed from the processes that were implemented and yep. the technologies that were used kind of blew my mind. I was like, oh, you know, we're one company. Why are all of these different projects so run so differently? And I was so naive yeah. at the time. I was like, you know, this is like, you know, why is this happening at DPR? And then I realized <laughs> it was actually the same thing around the yep. entire yep. industry. Yep. Um, so that was when I decided to, you know, take a chance in jumping into the technology side. And I was actually, you know, recruited to go work at some of the construction tech startups and thought that that's where I would end up going. Yep. But met the brick and mortar team and just kind of not knowing anything about venture capital, got yeah. a job opportunity and hopped on board to work with kind of as many startups as I would it, like. <laughs> that's amazing. That sounds fun. And I like how, how you... Uh, you identify it as like the, the, your characteristic of, of impatience is really what drove you to all, to all of that. You're like, I, I, that's, that's a really good uh, uh, characteristic that drives innovation. You're like, you know, you're like, I'm no, we're not wait. I'm not going to wait for someone else to figure it, figure it out. I'm going to go figure it out myself. So I like that. I yeah. And I think a lot of the most like innovative people in construction are actually like, you know, they, they call themselves lazy because they're like, you know, oh, I, you know, don't want to, you know, I don't want to spend all this time doing this like boring task, yeah. you know, so it's like, oh, let me just build something that automates it. So like some of the smartest people that I know in construction, they're not lazy, but they're like, yeah. you know, impatient or they're just like, you know, bored of doing the same thing. So they're like, okay, I'm going to, you know, build something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, it's funny. I, I, um, I have, I have friends who, who, who own companies, not, not within construction. So, but I believe this, um, identification for areas of innovation, it comes down to, um, well, this is a question you can ask, is that why do you do it that way? And if the answer is, well, it's the way we've always done it, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that's wrong, but it's like, let's let's dive into that a little bit and, and see if there is a, a smarter way around it. And it's amazing how many, how many times, like if you just step back and ask that question of things yeah. on, on your daily routine. Why do we do it that way? And, and, and if the answer was, is like, oh, we had an entire initiative last year that, that drove some research and we defined that that was the best way of doing it. All right, good, yeah. <laughs> move forward. <laughs> but if it's like, yeah, no, we've been doing that for 30 years, be like, why? Gasp and then you try to figure out new ways. And, and it's not only, uh, you know, within uh, in particular, processes, but it might be a part of a process uh, mm -hmm. that, that you utilize. Sorry, sorry you, you, you hit a chord with me there. So, <laughs> so um, all right. So brick and mortar, you're now into, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the venture capital and investment side of it, uh, which is uh, super exciting. Uh, in, in, in a former life, I, I was at a, a more of a, a a pre-money staging incubator VC, uh, so it's a it's a lot of fun, and it changes so often. Uh, but let, let's let's now let's dive in a bit more into the investing in construction technology. So, like, why is uh, investing in construction technology so attractive right now? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of reasons. Like, one of the first ones I kind of hinted at, um, kind of in my career progression, right? Mm -hmm. So it was the uh, kind of the invention of tablets. Yep. So that was one key thing that helped unlock, I guess, technology for construction. Because 
you know, on the construction sites, like there's no, you know, a lot of the times you're the first people there, right? So there's no yep. power, there's no water, there's no infrastructure, there's probably no GPS, there's probably no, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's nothing there. Um, so how do you get technology into the field? It's like, you know, there were yep. Panasonic tough books. I think they still exist now, but like, yeah. I just remember so distinctly yeah. before iPads, it was like Panasonic tough books, okay. but it was like super clunky UI. You had a lap, you know, basically a laptop with you on site. Yeah. No field person wanted to use that. Cause it was like a computer, you know, it was like bad UI clunky. Um, like maybe you had your BIM engineer, or BIM manager, bring the model out in the field to try to yeah. leverage some of that tech. Um, but it really wasn't until I would say like, and probably particularly Apple and iPhones, just having such a great design and UI that yep. got into the hands of all these people who normally wouldn't use computers or technology, yeah. just such a simple device that they're now used to, you know, calling people, taking photos, sending messages. Um, so I think that really unlocked kind of this first generation of apps for construction. And I'm talking more for the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of happened. And then now we're also seeing this almost second wave of construction field technology, focusing on hardware robotics, particularly on the robotic side. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been, you know, a huge cost reduction in LIDAR. Uh, there's, there's been so much investment in autonomous driving and self-driving vehicles where they really drove down the price of all these sensors. So sensors are now a lot less expensive. So you can actually build um, construction robotics fairly inexpensively, which is why we're seeing this kind of second generation of hardware-focused construction tech coming into the space. There's a bunch roaming around here. Exactly. (laughs) There's like, yeah, there's there's probably like 10 spots (laughs) just kind of all around. Yeah. So like those are kind of some of the trends that have kind of recreated interest in innovation and focus on construction. And of course, you know, I can't not mention the famous McKinsey chart of construction being second least product productive, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's been a lot of research report studies on construction lagging and digitization. And then there's also on the like hardware and technology side, some things that are unlocking those opportunities. So now it's like at a time where, you know, especially with the pandemic, construction being an essential business. And now with the infrastructure plan, there's just like, so many more people reading in the news about construction. Yeah, it's more in the forefront. Exactly. And they're no longer, I mean, like, I think a lot of people still think of construction as, oh, they're doing, you know, construction next door and it's a, you know, annoying thing because it's loud and it's blocking my, you know, my walking path and whatnot. Yeah. But I think like some of the like branding around construction has maybe changed a little bit where it's like, oh, this is actually very necessary for life and the world. Um, So I'm hoping that like some of the branding and the stigma around construction being, you know, uh, loud, noisy and all that. Um, And then now I guess there's also generalist investors interested in investing because they've seen, you know, the plan grid acquisition by Autodesk, um, you know, Viewpoint acquired by Trimble for $1.2 billion. So there's now a couple of exits in the space where, you know, investors are like, exactly. So is that, so like, brick and mortar and there's a handful of others that are very um, specific to the construction industry. They, they have a lot of industry experience, but is that what you're saying is you're starting to see investment from outside of the specialty area, more, yes. more, more of the, just the, the big tech investors coming in yeah, and so there's, taking notice? Yeah, there's a couple of trends. So I think we've seen a couple more kind of construction tech or prop tech funds that have popped up. Yep. It's like the latest one, um, Zakua. So, mm-hmm. uh, 
Vivin, uh, Mauricio, and Juan. They set up Zuko Ventures, their more earlier stage. Um, I think they're probably the latest one, but like there's also Builders VC, Building Ventures, um, Blackhorn. Yeah, there's there's a couple of great ones. And we're, we collaborate with everyone, yeah. right? And and the thing is, there's not enough capital still. Yeah. So we're doing our part in educating general investors about the construction tech space. Um, some of them, and it's been great to see them reach out to us yeah. asking about. So it's not a competitive scenario. You it's actually not want at all. More, no, because then you can want, go in together. On, well, we on also need things. more because we're early stage. Yeah. And um, one big risk with construction tech startups is that they may be able to raise money from us, but at the later stage, if those yeah, if yeah. those investors don't understand construction, yeah. then I think like it's a failure for the startup because they can't raise more money. Yeah. So we're kind of doing our best to help educate later stage investors about these opportunities as well. Yep. Um, and then we're also seeing a lot of corporate venture capital groups pop up. So um, yeah. I don't know who's up. Well, Home Depot announced the fund. Trimble Ventures just, yeah. you know, you know. so there's... Yeah. Pencil Phelps. Pencil Phelps. Yeah. So there's a lot of great yeah. names that are now, hey, like... I pointed to Pencil Phelps, but <laughs> that's where Ty was sitting earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But that's it. Uh, now, yeah. now I got sidetracked. I think I sidetracked both of us. Sorry about that. Fine, but... Corporate venture capital, there's a lot more of these kind of popping up, and it's great to see just more money going into investing in early stage tech. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, I find that interesting in terms of, I, I originally would have thought it would have been a, no, I don't want the, the big ones to come in. But like you said, it's, no, it's, it's the different it. stage. Yeah. Like you, you come in and you can help with the growth because of that. And then is it really like when, when you go from, like you said, when they mature out of, of the funds that they that you've provided, and and, uh, and and the resources that you've provided, it's now about it's less about construction and more about uh, corporate growth, right? It's not it's not yeah. about but it's it's like no no we got to get somebody in there who's like a px uh, you know an expert and and all of the you know a COO and, and start implementing that type of, of, of infusion of funds. hundred yeah. percent. So like we invest in seed and series A and we think that's where we can add the most value because like my background and the rest of my team's background, we all come from operations mm -hmm. and a bunch of us have really deep AEC experience. So our biggest value add at those stages is really to um, kind of help guide some of those product discussions, really dig into yep. You know, maybe you should test these things out too, or you know, like just just to help expand the scope of what that yep. startup is going after. And then, of course, our relationships with industry, whether it's through you know our LPs that have invested in our fund, um, or our personal connections with industry, we really help bring um, you know a lot of just pilot users, people yep. are interested in new tech. We build a lot of those connections, um, and that's kind of at Seed and Series A, that's most valuable. And then after that, when you're raising a Series B and beyond, it is purely on you know corporate growth or pure growth on the sales side, yep. or you know how to you know architect the org structure of yeah. this and that, or yeah. maybe it's pure hiring on software engineering. Yeah. And those are things that I think a lot of later stage VCs are really well set up to help with recruiting and all that type of stuff. And for us, it's like at the early stages, like we care a lot more about industry the problem they're solving how do we help with kind of molding that okay. startup before they're just grown cool all right so um brick and mortar ventures 
mission statement on their website. So I'm going to read it because I, I haven't memorized it. So it's identify, invest in, and grow emerging companies developing innovative software and hardware solutions for the industries of architecture, engineering, construction, and facilities management. <sighs> Take a breath. Immediately, um, what I what I what caught my eye was the was the facilities management side, uh, where I feel like that is unique and maybe not necessarily focused on as much. But so, are you finding a specific need in the industry for bridging that gap between the construct to the facilities management? Yeah, I think that's more or less white space right now. And, I, and I've had enough conversations with entrepreneurs where I can confidently say, like I've tried to pitch entrepreneurs to build something yeah. for that space. Um, so during my time at DPR, I actually spent time working on handover documents. So tracking, like literally just, tra and it's like <clears throat> such administrative work. Yeah. Um, but this was like me as a project engineer, you know, it was like, make sure you get everything from your subcontractors before you close it out. Yeah. Um, learn about commissioning to understand, like, where do you put all the warranty manuals and, you know, like get all the test data and organize it and then yeah. get all the as-built documents, get all the as-built models and put it all in a hard drive and yeah. help hand it over to the client. So I spent a lot of time doing that and it was a lot of administrative work and I know there's a lot of people still complaining about it. And we are yeah. seeing some of the like bigger players like Autodesk trying to build something to fit that need, yeah. but there hasn't really been a kind of purpose built solution just for commissioning and handover. And like, I always like to mention, you know, pre-con is a very tricky spot uh, that doesn't have a lot of innovation. And then handover commissioning is a tricky spot that yeah. we need to invest a lot more into because anytime you're transitioning teams, that's when there's the biggest risk of like data loss from a both a documentation plus a knowledge transfer perspective. Yep. So those are actually areas where it's like highest risk, but it's crazy that there aren't that many solutions going after that. And I think part of it is when you're looking at, you know, a construction company or even a owner, right? They have different teams managing construction and operations and maintenance. And yeah. they're all, they're both driven by different incentives. Oh, yeah. So one is like, okay, let's, you know, reduce construction costs, you know, even at the expense of operating costs, yeah. right? So there's, there's just like a lot of contractual and kind of organizational issues as to why yeah. there's lack of innovation there, but those are the biggest risk areas. And I want more entrepreneurs to like really look into those two spaces. Yeah. So I know um, one of my colleagues, uh, Dan Connery, he's been in he's been in the industry for 27 years, and he he says like before I retire, I would like to see the elimination of a few different processes. I know he said daily reports was one. Yep, yeah, uh, yeah. He would like to see like like he would love to hear in 10 years to ask somebody in the field like what's a daily report, and them to be like, what are you talking about? <coughs> Excuse me. The other one was 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 closeout and handover. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and that in the technology that we have, we're like, how is this a, a thing? Like it should just kind of move through. And we have a, we have something called asset lifecycle management. And the idea of being able to connect the data between, not between amongst mm -hmm. just planning, design, construct, operate, maintain. And that's actually more secular, secular, yep. right? Yeah. That eventually it, that, that, that informs uh, of a, a renovation or the next round or replacement. And um, it, it all, 
you know, I, the way I categorize it is that it's, it's a data problem. Yep. It's a yeah. data continuity problem is because it, every single time you, you lose, you lose data. And then and handover is one of the biggest ones because it's just, and then, you know, so I, I have a friend who works, uh, so I live in, in New Hampshire and he works for the New Hampshire Department of Transportation. And he's like, the amount of times that we have to go rescan something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he goes, I know it was done. I have no idea where it is. You know, and, and I, um, I, I don't know if he coined the phrase, but at least it was the first time I heard it. It was dark data. He was mm. like, it's dark data. I know it's there, but yeah, I can't, he find, can't it. find it. Yeah. Yeah. So I digress a little bit. Um, so this is my magic wand question. So if you could identify one thing that's holding the industry back that you could fix with the magic wand, what would it be? Culture. Uh, but that's a, I think that's a big one. And maybe it's like, you know, when you have three wishes, it's like, you know, you can't, you can't wish for more wishes. I want more wishes. <laughs> yeah. It almost feels like that where um, just the, the cultural challenge with construction, and maybe this isn't just construction and it's across a lot of other industry too, okay. uh, industries. Um, but in construction, I think it's this adversarial relationship and it's almost, if you go oh, back into yeah, if you go back into, and I don't know the history of how construction was set up, but I can only imagine that it was always set up where, you know, you get three bids, it's competitive, and you almost have this whole checks and balance across the entire supply chain. Mm -hmm. Just because that's how you get a quality, you know, how do you get a quality product, right? Is you have checks and balances, quality control, and all this. So, it, like, in theory, it makes sense. Why? Yeah. But what that leads to are all these processes where you're passing paper back and forth for approvals when in theory, like you can probably skip certain processes if yep. you all just sit together in a room and agree on something, right? Yep. But at the end of the day, it's like we are bound to our contracts and also just yep. the culture that kind of people who have worked in industry for a long time their teachings to the younger people coming into industry is, yeah. you know, you can't let the architect treat you this way, or, you know, you can't let the sub try to get away with this change or, you know, like there's just all this adversarial relationship yep. that it's like, it kind of needs to just stop or else we can't collaborate. So do you think that starts with the contracting mechanism? So that's where I kind of go back and forth a lot. And this is actually an area where I'm very interested and passionate about is this whole, do the contracts actually dictate how you operate on, on site? And yep. I've seen a lot of IPD projects and have talked to people where IPD and IPD is integrated project delivery for those who don't know. Um, but it's like, Thank you, you bring that. in, yeah, you bring in, um, well, I'm thinking like I've said it a couple of times where yeah. they're like, I would, um, so it's like you have the owner, the design team and the contractors and kind of the key group or key people from each of those groups yep. come together and sign one contract so that you're collaborating and delivering the project to the best interest of the entire team rather than to each individual. Right. So you kind of open up like, you know, how do you make money? Where are margins? You know, in theory, you kind of open up all of that. Yep. Um, so I've seen projects where it's an IPD job or project contract type and the projects have gone really well. So my first job, the UCSF hospital job, it was an IPD like job mm -hmm. and it went really well and everyone loved it. It was so collaborative. It was great. And then there are a lot of other stories that I've heard where there are IPD jobs that have gone wrong. And then there are certain situations where you may have the same owner, architect and contractor companies. Yep. 
with an IP job, but different people from each of the companies that yep. have varying ranges of success. Okay. Right. So like when I think of that, I'm like, it's not a contract problem. It may not even be a company problem. It's a one-to-one -one individual person kind of matching, you know, like how do you yeah. find people who get along and jive regardless of. Yeah. So you could have, you could have any con contracting mechanism, but if people just don't want to work or they don't work well together. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like how, like, and I think this is like one of those like touchy feely things that there hasn't been a lot of research in. And, and I don't know if there <laughs> is research in even other industries on how to create this, you know, high performing team. Like I know Stanford Syfy and there's a couple of other groups that are looking into what makes a high performing team. Yeah. But what's tangible are, you know, contracting methods, like meetings to get people to, you know, come together, project yeah. charters. But a lot of that doesn't actually make it through to the rest of the team if the leadership doesn't buy yeah. into the, you know, culture and there's yeah, so that's also part of culture too. Like there's yeah. <laughs> there's a there's, lot there. There's a, there is a lot to unpack on, on that one. Um yeah, because when you first brought up culture, I was thinking of the like the the culture around construction in general and our labor shortage problem. Oh, and, yeah. And the younger generations. So I, I had a guest uh, on uh, Aaron Witt from Build Witt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and you know he's carrying the flag or the torch. We don't want to say about uh, you know about trying to change the culture and. and provide better, better um, uh, workforce development tools mm -hmm. and things like that. And I just, I really like that. It's like, hey, you know, show that it's it's kind of a cool industry. You can do some really cool things. You can go to really cool places. So that's where I thought, but then you're right. It just, the, the adversarial uh, uh, collaboration is, is so, so it's culture is kind of divergent there, but it's a, it's it both, both kind of hit it. Yeah. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, all right. Going back to brick and mortar again, um, can you share a story of a, a portfolio company or uh, or a couple stories? I don't, I don't want you to have to pick a favorite. <laughs> so if she chooses one, it doesn't mean it's her favorite. Um, uh, but it, you know, uh, like how that company is making an impact in construction, and is there a project that maybe highlights this? Yeah, the <laughs> the one that's top of mind is Broad Radar. Um, so I think if you talk to anyone in construction, they've probably experienced a utility strike on their project, or they've gotten, you know, a regional message about this project in your region at your company has hit a utility and you've shut down, you know, power to this huge neighborhood or whatever it yeah. is, right? Like I think almost everyone in construction has probably heard of or experienced a utility strike of some sort. Yeah. Um, so Rod Radar is one of our portfolio companies that is, um, basically integrating a ground penetrating radar into a dig bucket. And their whole mission is to avoid utility strikes so that as you are excavating, if you are about to hit a utility, um, the goal is that you get alerted and eventually stop. So yeah. they want to get into machine control. Um, so eventually what they're saying is it won't even allow you. It won't even allow come. you to hit. <clears throat> and we've studied this space a lot and like looked at, you know, can you do as built, you know, can you look at as built? Can you look at, you know, surveying first? But a lot of it is like a lot of that is not accurate enough. And frankly, even if you survey it and you give, you know, a map to the guy who's, you know, controlling the excavator, there's still a chance that, you know, you may 
see something or get distracted or whatever, you may still hit a utility. Yeah. Yeah. So for a rod radar integrated into the dig bucket and allowing like to actually stop it from happening, yeah. I think that's very powerful. And yeah, that's one where I think you know there are a lot of deaths in construction due to utility strikes. Yeah. And to me, like that makes. I mean, if we can. If we can solve that problem, that'll make me feel really good. Yep. And not just from a investment, like it's a hard investment because it's hardware. Yep. Um, but we invested in that company because we know this is a big problem for industry. Yep. And we think that like the industry needs this, right? It's not just, you know, I think that's like the interesting thing about brick and mortar is like we are investing for financial returns, but we also still have a mission and we no industry deep enough where it's like, okay, well, you know, we need to invest here because that's just what the industry needs. And that's one of those companies. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, all right. So we are actually at our last question. All right. And I gave you a little bit of warning. Uh, so uh, what is your motto or you don't have your own personal model? Not, not, not everybody has your own per their own personal motto. What's a motto that you've heard of? Uh, that you think is a really good uh, life lesson or something to kind of like drive you? Yeah, I did not think of another one. So <laughs> it would be Nike, just do it. Um, I think, I mean, that was always one. I've always really loved Nike, mm -hmm. like growing up, whether it's the shoes or the story behind yep. the company and supply, you know, supply chain and yeah. all that. Um, so I think Nike is an incredible company. Um, and yeah, from a, I guess, just do it. I don't know. Just well, do it. <laughs> it, 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 it matches that um, going back to the beginning of this conversation, that that spirit of impatience. Just yeah, do it. I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're like my psychologist. Now. Yeah. <laughs> just do it. There it is. So awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us, Alice. Uh, it's been fantastic hearing everything that you have to share. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. All right. And everybody out there listening, viewing until next time. Stay connected. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Connected Construction Show. For more information, visit us at connectedconstructionshow.com.